0: It's sort of this trifecta of like old cardboard, wet dog, and barnyard.
1: Welcome to Two Girls and a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time.
0: I'm Drea, and I finally counted the number of bottles of wine in my house, and I am simultaneously very proud and very embarrassed.
1: I'm Anne, and I don't have to count the number of bottles of wine in my apartment because it is less than 10, and they are
0: all either under the couch or under the bed. I hate this. I hate this so much. I hate this life for you.
1: Well, I feel like you're already jeering me, so why don't we just dive right into our cheers and jeers section. Do you want to go first?
0: I can. Cheers to Peachy Canyon Wines in Paso Robles at the extreme pleasure of visiting them on a recent trip up there. And a special shout out to August who gave me an amazing tasting, an amazing experience and invited me back to record an episode there in August. So it looks like that's going to, oh my God, August and August. That's adorable. I love this. So I'm very excited and also cheers to that deer that hung out in front of my Airbnb and gave me such a picturesque time.
1: I'm pretty sure there is a Taylor Swift song called August, so oh I'm my pretty God. sure you've made the trifecta right now. Oh, my
0: God. I'm going to play it when we have this interview with him. And what is your jeers? Uh, jeers to summer because I fucking hate it. And every year I forget how much I hate it. And then it shows up and I'm like, oh, yeah, I hate this. I hate this.
1: Yeah, I feel like we have been really excited about summer and then it's here and I'm like, Oh, I didn't. This isn't yeah, what this I was looking this for. No,
0: I want the idealized version of summer, like the Olaf from Frozen version of summer. That's that's what I want. Like, I want to be the snowman who just dreams of summer and not melting into some disgusting puddle. But yeah, here we are.
1: Yeah, I want to be poolside at the Lafayette. Obviously, uh, in all a bathing the time. suit. All the time. Sweating in my apartment.
0: No, or at work. I don't want to do that either.
1: Yeah, well, work, apartment,
0: same thing. All right, so what are your cheers and jeers? It it sounds like we're both having some really similar feelings about uh, summer in the cities, so what you got for us this time? It's a hot time,
1: summer (laughs) in the city. Um, My cheers this week is to Nikki de Saint-Fal, a French sculptor. I went to the MoMA extension PS1 in Queens uh, this Friday, and it was my first time being back in an art museum. And I had a glass of rosé and wore a gorgeous caftan and just looked at really incredible art. She is this amazing sculptor. She actually has passed away, but her work is all about sort of the female body and shape. And she does these sort of enormous like walk through sculptures that really just kind of become their own place in the landscape and and just really beautiful really whimsical magical work celebrating the female form and celebrating mysticism and celebrating color so it was just a really fun opportunity to get back into the art world and so cheers to you Nikki raising a glass Oh, and she also, she did, for you folks in California, she did the sculpture Queen Khalifa's Garden in Escondido. It's in Kit Carson Park, I believe. And every time I was there when I lived out there, it was always closed. But if you ever have a chance to go when it's open, I think it's incredible.
0: I am absolutely going to check this out. I am super excited about this. Also, did I just hear Hillary? She's sort of expressing
1: the way I feel about my jeers this week. Oh, do tell. Uh, So similar to you, a jeers that is summer related. I got back from Denver, uh, visiting my family, got back from a really great vacation. And immediately I was overwhelmed by the way New York City smells in the summer. (laughs) It is just (laughs) disgusting. Like, imagine that you are in a rotting pile of garbage. Like,
0: yeah, it grows dog poop refuse. I mean, you literally are in a rotting pile of garbage because there's garbage bags out on the street every fucking night.
1: And like, really, you hope that it's in garbage bags. You want it to be in garbage bags. Because the other option is that it's just in the street. And it's gross. And it smells. So anyway, that's my jeers is that the whole city smells like garbage.
0: Also, pro tip, never wear like open-toed sandals in New York in the summer. (laughs) Don't even bother owning open-toed sandals. Like, why would you? I
1: have a pair that I have not worn in years because I moved here and I was like, well, no, I don't want any part of my foot exposed to anything close to New York City streets.
0: So hopefully your summer is going better than ours. Hopefully they're drinking too. So, you know, that helps everyone.
1: So for our shenanigans this week... We watched a film. So, this is going to be a little film discussion. And it was actually a movie that I have never seen before. But, Drea, you have seen it. So, what was the film and why did you recommend
0: it? So, we saw Sideways. And I remember it making somewhat of an impression on me. I was shocked that you had not seen it. And one of the wines, that they feature in the movie happens to be what we are featuring today. Uh, Wine from Blackjack Ranch Vineyards up in the Solvang, Los Olivos, San Ynez area. So,
1: a little bit of background on Sideways. It came out in 2004, and the Amazon description is, a struggling writer and his has-been actor best friend get into all kinds of trouble when they embark on a wine-tasting tour prior to the best friend's wedding. I mean, I can't really criticize that description. It is what happens. What do you think about it, Drea?
0: (laughs) Um, Sure. I mean, it's the basics, right? But it leaves out like a lot of the juicy parts. It sort of leaves out who's at fault for all the trouble they get in. (laughs) Because it's all them. Yeah, it's all them. They're awful. Like truly horrible human beings. They're so awful. They're so awful. And so we both watched the film and saw it. I, th- I think we both saw them Friday. Yeah. It did not hold up. She did not age well. It was just, It's just ooh. <laughs> so so before we get into
1: how it aged or did not, what did you remember about the movie or liking the movie when you first saw it? Because obviously, you would not have subjected me to this if you had remembered it accurately. But what did you think of it at the time?
0: I think when I saw it originally, you know, I thought, I I did think it was funny. Um, Not for the same reasons, though, that I think I found it funny in some ways this time. And I also just remember being really captivated by all the discussion of wine. So I was in my, you know, early 20s and... Uh, I was just starting to get into wine drinking and branch out beyond my two buck chuck. And Sideways was a film that was so entrenched in California wine culture that it it made it cool, you know, and it's interesting because until that point, like, I always thought about wine drinking as something like, you know, stodgy old people did, but The way that they talk about wine in that movie really changed the way I started thinking about wine, too. And, you know, really started opening myself up to more tasting opportunities and flavor profiles. It's also kind of a classic in like the wine film world, right? And so when, you know, Sideways came out, It received widespread critical acclaim. It won Best Adapted Screenplay at the Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress. It has a 90% uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes even today. Time Out described the film as, quote, intelligent, funny, and moving. And Roger Ebert. Uh, gave it four stars out of four, writing that, quote, what happens during the seven days adds up to the best human comedy of the year. Comedy because it is funny and human because it is surprisingly moving. I have to be honest right
1: now. <laughs> I hate the movie more now that you have read me those reviews because it it assumes this, like, point of view of the sort of mediocre white man. And it assumes this, like, Nice guyishness about the the protagonist Miles, especially in comparison to his friend. Also, should we have said spoiler alert at some point? If you feel like we're spoiling this movie from two thousand
0: four, you're welcome. Um, also, we 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 took this hit so all of you would not have to. And if you have and you love it, I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. Yeah, these we need to find a better movie. To these watch. spoilers
1: are helping you dodge a bullet, so you're welcome.
0: So anyway, like to me, I
1: think that like the reviews and the the film, like even watching it, it it definitely reminded me of films from like the the mid to early two thousands. Like it reminded me a little bit of Garden State. It reminded me of some of these these other films where there's just like this this sort of assumption um, of of a male perspective and that they are the hero of their own stories without necessarily acknowledging what absolute human garbage they're being. There was a while at the beginning where I was watching, where I was trying to decide like which character we would be of the two protagonists, the male characters. So Miles, who's played by Paul Giamatti, and his friend, whose name I can't even remember because I think I only referred to him as an asshole the entire time. Um, But the other one, the one who won or who was nominated for Best Supporting Actor... Is a Jack. You know, he, he knows much less about wine, is much less interested in wine. So I sort of at the beginning was like, oh, well, Drea is clearly the Paul Giamatti character. I'm clearly this asshole guy. And then like five minutes into the movie, I was like, neither oh. of us are either of these people. They're <laughs> awful. They're <laughs> appalling.
0: The two female characters in Sideways, you know, it's constantly just like screaming at the TV, like, girl, get out. You don't need this. You can do better. Like, keep moving. And for those of you who haven't seen it, the glorious Sandra O oh is one of the two female characters. She plays a character named Stephanie. And everything about her is better than everything that happens in this film. Yeah, and I think
1: the same is true of Maya. I mean, there the the little bit of backstory that we get about these two characters, Stephanie and Maya, is so much more interesting than what is going on with these two men having a midlife crisis. But they're they're really only there as trophies or prizes or to soothe male ego.
0: And what's so interesting to me about their characters and now rewatching it, and this will resonate a lot, I think, with listeners who have traditionally thought of wine as a male dominated field, you know, and it, and it has been, Um, that has changed drastically though, I would say in the last 15 to 10 years, there are so many talented female winemakers um, there are so many talented female psalms. You know, women have really brought uh, a much needed breath of fresh air to the industry over the last decade. And what's so interesting, what was so interesting to me about rewatching Sideways is that both Stephanie and Maya know way more about wine than either one of these two idiots. And so watching it again, I was like, these women are the real deal. Here, You know, when we talk about wine as an industry, we talk about um, wine professionals, and we talk about wine knowledge, like, they actually have it. And these two, like, losers are just kind of posers at this point. There were a few things that we
1: enjoyed about this movie. So do you want to, do you want to share a few of the, like, just fast forward to these parts?
0: Uh, yeah, so... Um, I think that there are two things to really celebrate about this film that's still track. And one is some of the hilarious one liners in the movie. And so I thought it would be fun if Anne and I both talked about some of our favorites. And so Anne, what was one of your favorites? Well, you lines? wrote it
1: down as well, but I really liked so at the beginning when they're they're early on tasting wines. The asshole best friend who's getting married is drinking a wine that's made of of Pinot Noir grapes. And he says, Pinot Noir? Why is it white? Um, And I just thought that was, you know, his his idiocy is, is hilarious. But also, I think that's a really common question. You know, it's definitely a question I would have had before this.
0: Remember, color we talked about is skin contact. So you get rid of the skins, you have a white wine. You said that much nicer than Miles
1: did. What was one of your favorite lines?
0: So I, there's a scene where the asshole best friend, whose name is Jack, Jack has arranged a double date for him and Miles with Maya and Stephanie, despite the fact that Jack is about to get married. Because again, I don't know if we mentioned this, he's an asshole. And um, Miles is reluctant. So they're walking towards the restaurant, which is called Hitching Post, which is still in Solvang today. Like you can go and visit it. It's it's a great restaurant. But Jack yells at him don't drink too much. Do you hear me? I don't want you passing out. They're going to the dark side. No going to the dark side. And I just laughed because I've definitely been in the situation before. You if you're going to go out and you're going to drink wine, like you're not doing tequila shots, um which you also shouldn't do a lot of apparently. But you really want to enjoy it and savor it and not go to the dark side. Like once you start shooting taste like their shots Things are about to get real gnarly real fast. And then I think that we did have a favorite line between the two of us.
1: Yes, when I heard this line, I immediately thought of you. So this is Miles. And again, I think it might be around the same time as the line Drea just shared. Uh, But they're going to meet up with Maya and Stephanie. And Miles is reluctant. And so he says to Jack, if anyone orders Merlot, I'm leaving. I'm not drinking any fucking Merlot. And I think Jack's response is like, if they want to drink Merlot, we're drinking Merlot. And of course, I just immediately <laughs> thought of you and your your love yep. slash identity crisis with Merlot.
0: So there were a couple of good liners, um, not enough to like overlook the toxic masculinity. But one of the things I do want to mention is, you know, despite the fact that this film did not age well, um, that we're in a really different place as in society where I think that calling out mediocre middle-aged men for their grossness is not only acceptable, but encouraged in ways required that in 2004. Yeah. And also, you know, there's more women in the industry now, which I think is really important and has changed um, the culture and the, sh- the, the direction of the culture of the wine world. But, One of the varietals that Miles is particularly obsessed with in the movie is Pinot Noir. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of poetry about how it's such a difficult grape and it's so delicate and blah, 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 blah. But despite all of this, um, you know, trash talking that we're doing of this film, It had such a profound influence on what people were drinking. So following the film's U.S. release in October of 2004, Merlot sales actually dropped by 2% and Pinot Noir sales increased by 16% in the Western United States. So Pinot has become like the new Chardonnay, like everyone fucking makes one now everyone makes a Pinot because of the marketability. So even in places where you're like, you should not be growing Pinot up here because one thing, the one thing that Miles gets right in this movie is that Pinot Noir is a very delicate, very finicky grape. The weather conditions need to be just right for it. And so in this area in Santa Inez Valley, you get the cool nights, you get the sea breezes, but it also all depends. So Are you are you planning Pinot on a westerly facing slope that's getting that ocean mist? Are you planning planning it on an easterly facing slope, which is getting more sun? So you can have Pinot and if there's a hill and one side's facing west and one side's facing east, you're going to have a completely different final wine product. And so it is a very difficult grape to to grow, very difficult grape to tend to, has to be harvested at exactly the right time. It is not forgiving in any way, shape or form. And there, I mean, there are a lot of really good Pinots out there, but there's a lot of places that do absolute garbage Pinot like they gross (laughs) so you know proceed with caution with the pinots so are we ready to um drink the
1: wine that inspired this whole episode let's let's do this
0: Okay, so for this episode, we picked the Blackjack Ranch Maximus Syrah, which is coming out of Santa Barbara County, California. So it's there, uh, nestled in between Solvang and Los Olivos. And this is their 2010 Syrah vintage. Uh, And so not only did we select it because we were watching the film that it was featured in. But this was also one of my first, like, big girl bottle purchases. And I remember drinking the Maximus and looking at the woman who was working in the tasting room and saying to her, if I was filthy rich, I would take a bath in this wine every day. I just remember being so impressed by the big bold attitude and you know it was really my first major experience tasting aged wines and I had bought a bottle when I was there and it was the 2003 vintage and I finally opened it up during the pandemic and you know it it held up so this is a glorious bottle of wine. It is a very typical California Syrah that we'll talk about in a little bit. It is on the pricier side because now we're getting into, you know, not just like highly structured bold reds, but we're getting into aged wines. So this bottle typically retails for $48. I did get a nice little discount when I was there at the vineyard. So that's why we are now drinking this. It's a big boy. So this has an ABV of 14.9%. So this is really an episode of firsts for us, because this is definitely the highest ABV wine we've had on the show. And this is by far the most expensive wine that we've had on the show. And it is the oldest wine we've had on the show. So again, this is the 2010 vintage that we opened up today.
1: The name Blackjack Maximus is just a great name. And it also just makes me so happy to know that this is like your bathtub wine, because I've heard you tell that anecdote before, but either didn't remember or didn't pay attention to the wine that went with it. So it's just nice to, to know that this is the wine you'd be like soaking in it like Cleopatra. <laughs>
0: Oh, the dream. And, you know, the 2003 vintage that I opened up during the pandemic held up to that standard. Like it was delicious. We'll see about the 2010, though. Um, so Anne, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience as we were propping for the podcast today?
1: So I texted Jaya to be like, hey, does this need to be refrigerated? Does this need to whatever? She's like, no, but I'm going to go ahead and open it now so that it can breathe a little bit. So I'm just a copycat and I do whatever Drea does. So I was like, cool, I'll open it now too. And as I opened it, you know, the corkscrew went in really easily, came out really easily. I thought had a cute little <laughs> spade on the top. So high points for the aesthetic. But then as I was looking at the bottom of the cork, I was like, oh shit, this cork is broken. This the, There's like still cork in the neck of the bottle. So not great, not a great sign for this for this wine. Um, so I'm a little nervous, Drea, what's
0: going on here? Sometimes your corks are gonna get gnarly. It doesn't necessarily mean that the wine's gone bad. Remember, cork is a porous substance, right? So oxygen does get into the wine. That is gonna be part of that aging process. You know, we'll see what's happened with this bottle that (laughs) Anne's opened here. But if the cork breaks, if you've got a wine key, you can probably still pull it out. Like use that corkscrew part on the wine key to pull it out. If you're using like one of those rabbitier wine openers or one of those like fancy automated ones, you can just push it down into the bottle. It's not going to hurt it. It's going to be fine. I would definitely drink that bottle like in the next day or two, but you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna do anything. If you are going to drink older vintage wines, even if you're going to drink some like you know, wines five years and up. It's it's worth getting a decanter if you have the space to store it. It's going to help open up. The They're wine. real pretty. Yeah, too. So that was number two. It's pretty, but, you know, it can help in situations like this. And so I opened up the wine and I was like, oh, yeah, this baby needs to breathe a little bit. So I, I do have a decanter and I decided to decant it. So let's talk a little bit about aged wines and you know what happens to them so the first thing about aged wines is storage is everything and this is kind of like the rule of thumb with most wines especially when you get into the reds or stuff that you're gonna have like lurking around your house for a while under your bed how you store your wines is oh my god under the bed isn't the worst place for a wine and yes I'll tell you one you want the wine to be fairly temperature controlled. So once you start getting in spaces that are hitting above like 70 to 4 4 degrees, wine can start doing weird shit in the bottle. So, you know, you do want a place that's fairly cool. The second thing is you don't want to expose your wine bottles to direct sunlight. So you really want to, keep because that's going to raise the temperature in the bottle. They're in glass. It's like a magnifying situation. You really want to make sure they are in kind of like a darker, shady place. Then let's talk about, do you stin them upright or lay them down? It really depends. So like this, a wine like this, it's 11 years old. You know, as wines age, they naturally produce some sediments. So that's how you get some of that gunky, um, grape skins almost in the bottle. It's not. It's just sediment from that aging process. And so, typically, if you're going to open up an older wine, you want to take it. So, if it's laying flat, like if it's laying on its side, you want to stand it upright. And what's what that's going to do for like twenty four hours before you open it up is all the sediment will start floating down to the bottom of the bottle and stay there. OK, so that's like the goal with wine storage. Step two, then, is opening the bottle. Look at the cork or what you can of the cork. So my cork, Anne's cork, fell apart. We're not going to worry about it. We're going to worry about later. break. OK, well, I mean, but you can't see the bottom of the cork that was touching the wine in the bottle, right? Like no, that's it's fully full, no. in the wine now. Yeah, that's fully in the wine. OK, so when I pulled mine out, there was a pretty thin thick layer of like, not. Nah, I don't want to say gelatinous wine, but there Ugh. was definitely like, that's not what I want to say. There was definitely like a layer of wine that had got into you know, of the a very slim part of that cork. And so it's, you know, it's dark, really dark in color. It may be a little tacky in terms of feeling and, and texture, but again, not necessarily a deal breaker. So I took a little sip and I was like, this, this needs some help. So that's when I decided to decant it. And that's step four then. So I looked at the cork, I did a little test taste and I was like, okay, she needs to open up. She needs some oxygen. And she just needs a little breathing room. So I decanted it and did this like whole bowl strainer situation, which sure, when you're in a pinch, you do what you got to do. You got the Kool-Aid pitcher. Use that. Doesn't matter. Just make it work. Don't use plastic. Don't use metal. If you're going to pour it into like, you know, a big cut, like a pint or a bowl or something, you use glass if you can. And now we're we're at the final step, which is like seeing what happened with our decanting experiments and giving it a whiff. And so when you're tasting an aged wine, there are a couple like warning bells you want to look out for that will help signal to your brain that this wine has become corked or has gone bad or is past its prime, so to speak. It's sort of this trifecta of like old cardboard wet dog and barnyard like those those are aromas you never want in a wine but they're very distinct right so i've been in situations where i've had like aged tempranillos and tempranillo we haven't had one on the show yet but we we need to um because their aroma is very distinct it almost has like a more vegetable like aroma to to that wine especially the aged ones i mean think like bell peppers, tomato, kind of like these big vegetable flavors. And people tend to be like, oh, I think this wine's gone bad. No, that's just the characteristic of an aged Tempranillo. But when you start getting into things like cardboard, old newspaper, and sometimes you will get a little like hint of barnyard up in some super natty wines. And it's not, it, it has nothing to do with like the wine going bad in that context. It's more about like, um, the lack of filtration or if they're using feral yeast and stuff like that. But um, in an aged wine like this it's in, that's coming from a more commercial process, Barnyard Wet Dog Old Cardboard, the unholy trinity. So now that we've talked about the dangers of aged wines, <laughs> let's get into some of like the good stuff here so we can give this baby a whirl and set you up for some success. So this is a Syrah. Um, it's the first Syrah I think we've done on the show here. And this is a big wine. California Syrah is really characterized as a bold, spicy wine with a peppery finish. You're going to get big red and black fruit And typically, these wines do have a high ABV, so 14% and up for a Syrah. So, you know, they really have a lot of body. They have a lot of structure. They need something like Hardy to stand up against for pairings and things like that. And what's interesting about Syrah is it's still relatively new to California winemaking, yet it has done extremely well here because of the climate. Um, it does really well in you know, high, long periods of sunshine. So those long summers that we get in California uh, that really culminate in the harvest time anywhere from September to October, that intense heat that the Central Coast can get. And so, you know, it, it does well here. And so Syrah, though, does originate from the Rome Valley. It's a French varietal. Um, and it really wasn't planted widespread in California until like the 1980s so it's really been in only the last 25 years that it's become a much more common varietal and now if you're traveling in the central coast whether it be in Santa Barbara County or up in Paso Robles everyone's making a Syrah and so it's it's something that has become very very common to that central coast region. I love this on their website for Blackjack. They actually tell you where your wine is coming from. And so this one is part of their Watch Hill Vineyard. And this particular Syrah was grown in rows 74 through 84 of block 1D. <laughs> and I just... That is specific. I love, I love the specificity of it. I've like, whoever like wrote this website has a love of Excel spreadsheets like I do. I mean, it's great. I mean, there's something I think very enticing and interesting about, you know, knowing exactly like what vines that bottle's coming from. I mean, you talk, you know, we've spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about terroir and place. And um, this is the first time in our research for this podcast that I've seen a winemaker be that specific about where those grapes for that bottle are coming from. And it matters in this bottle because depending on the year and the vintage, the climate, the yield, the grapes for this Maximus Syrah can be sourced from a number of different vineyards. Because of that, they bear slightly different names from vintage to vintage. So like there's a Hillside Reserve. This one is the Black Pearl, you know, all depending on which area that they're coming from and where they're pulling their grapes from. So I also appreciate that, you know, having a label, but also really distinguishing between where these vines are being planted and what characteristics they may take on because of that. It's a real attention to detail. And, you know, it's done well for them. This particular wine has been rated pretty highly Wine Advocate Gave the 2014 vintage a score of 92. You know, anything above 90 is pretty good. But, you know, it is it is a very popular producer. They still have a sign up by the vineyard that's, like, as featured in Sideways. So, you know, that was... Kind of their claim to fame, but their wines have definitely stood up to that.
1: So for those folks who are not in the Southern California area, what can you say about kind of the the Santa Barbara region? What makes it so great for winemaking?
0: Santa Barbara County, wine country, is really sandwiched between these two mountain ranges, right? And the elevations range from about 200 feet above sea level in the valley to 3,400 feet in the hillsides. That gives you a huge range for what to grow. And so in this region, you know, when I was just up there tasting, I had everything from like Grüner Veltliner and to Chardonnay in terms of the whites to Syrahs, to Cab's, I even had you know, I drank a Merlot, was that one of the tastings. They have some really delicate nice Pinots. Like they're growing all kinds of stuff up there. I think I had the Tempranillo somewhere. So it's a great tasting experience. like it, And in all honesty, if you're going to come out to California and you want to do wine tasting, go to Santa Barbara County, go to Paso Robles, go to one of those smaller Central Coast areas because you're going to be able to try a lot more varietals and you're going to be able to afford to try a lot more things because the tastings are half to a third of the price of what you're going to pay in Napa and Sonoma. And it's not because the wine is worse or not as good. It's just, you know, Napa and Sonoma has become such a scene that it's become very, very expensive. So I highly recommend um, doing the Santa Barbara County Wine Trail situation. So you've got the weather, you've got the elevation, and then you have the soil. And what's really interesting about the soil there is you find different pockets of different types of soil. So some are very heavily trenched in limestone that creates wines that are like high in acid. Some are more sandy soils that are great for these, you know, big, bold fruit-driven wines. And then there's also clay-based soils that, you know, really hold a lot of moisture and are great for growing vines that need a lot of water. So like your pinots and things like that. But it's an incredibly diverse region. So uh, let's get into this winemaker. Earlier, you mentioned you really liked the name.
1: Yeah, Blackjack Syrah, Blackjack Maximus. I'm sorry, give me all that gladiator shit.
0: <laughs> it's pretty cool. So the the winemaker um, and the proprietor of the property, Roger Wisted, started studying wine when he was just 14. Yeah, I started studying wine around then, too. And he began making wine when he was 16, um, and he's worked in both California and France. But the name of Blackjack, I was just fascinated by the story. So in 1990, he invented a casino card game called California Blackjack and introduced it at like a card convention in Los Angeles. Okay, so the standard game of blackjack, right, game or 21 was outlawed in California in 1873. But this game was different in that two aces was a natural and technically that made the game 22 not 21.
1: Kind of sneaking around the rules there, Roger Wisted.
0: <laughs> I don't know enough about like card games or gambling to be like oh this, but I'm I'm relying on our listeners that somebody does anyway. So he was into like the. Card game gambling scene, and he decided to name this vineyard in homage to that. So the vineyard was first planted in nineteen ninety six, and it was named to honor that game. If we go back to Sideways, you know that movie comes out in two thousand four. So at the time, Blackjack was an incredibly young vineyard and tasting room. You know, it only been open a couple of years.
1: Well, and I just think it's interesting, you know, we you mentioned earlier that this is an older varietal than some of the other things that we've that we've drank on this podcast, but the vineyard itself is so much younger. You know, we've talked about old world wines from Spain and even Mexico. We've talked about like the long history of wine growing in the regions and the the real history of the winemakers in the region. And this is one that is much younger, relatively speaking.
0: Yeah. Even though we're drinking you know, the older vintage. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think there was a couple where we were talking about like uh, family vineyards that were on like their fourth generation and things like that. Um, so by all of our standards from this podcast, yes, this is a very young winery for sure. But you know the practices that they're using are are pretty pretty ancient and pretty standard to produce this wine. So the winemaking process that this particular bottle goes through is traditional for any red. Your grapes are crushed, they're fermented, they're barrel and bottled aged. For a wine like the Syrah, you're gonna get aging in French and American oak, and it's it's gonna be new oak. And then though with a wine like this, the next step is to bottle age it before you release that vintage. So the youngest wine that Blackjack currently sells is from 2016. So they're basically aging in the bottle for five years before each release. And this is pretty standard for a lot of your big French varietals. that so they're not natural or meant to be drunk young. And you know, when I was writing the notes to this podcast, I was like, yeah, you could even lay this down another couple of years. Considering our cork situation, though, we're going to find out real quick if that's true or not. But here oh, we but go. That was,
1: that was true <laughs> for your previous vintage, too, like your earlier bottle oh, yeah. line that you
0: mentioned. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, when I bought that bottle, it was... 2005, 2006. It was a 2003 vintage. And I mean, I just opened it in 2020. And I think right now I have maybe a 2008 or 2009 of the same thing like sitting on my wine rack.
1: Yeah, we'll see how it all turns out.
0: All right. Should we do this? So what are we we looking at in our glass? (laughs) It's a really deep, deep, deep ruby. And As you kind of tip, if you tip your glass a little bit, the edges definitely get more of that cranberry color. And there's almost a very light tinge of like terracotta. Yeah. And that comes from the aging. That comes from the oxidation process and the aging. I'm also going to say as I tip it, I get some
1: good legs on this glass. Yeah. uh, Which I think you said is because of the ABB. So the higher alcohol content.
0: And the age too. Yeah. All right. So we've got a nice, deep, ruby glass. Should we take a whiff? Sure. So- I've only got a few little cork crumbles. So... Going back to, I don't know, if it was our second or third episode when Anne was like, I smell alcohol. You are probably going to smell alcohol in this wine. <laughs> and that's that higher ABV that you're getting. You know, it, it definitely has more of a presence in this this glass
1: yeah this is not what i am I'm not expecting this in terms of flavor, but there was um a Thanksgiving or a Christmas that I was having at my aunt and uncle's house in San Diego, and they served uh, like a dessert port, and I'm getting kind almost a similar feeling smelling this um, or or whiffing this uh, where it it feels almost sweet in the nose and and certainly yeah, that that heavier alcohol content.
0: Yeah, I'm getting, um, you know, some dark, like black cherry, a little bit of blackberry, definitely like pepper, like peppercorn. Yeah. A little bit of tobacco, slight hint of like date or prune. You know, again, that's the aging piece that's going to give you almost like port like um, nose. Definitely some, some woodsiness. But yeah, lots of, I mean, it's definitely, I think in, especially if we we hold it up against the wine that we drank last episode, you know, the young, natural boxed wine that we did. The Vin Rouge,
1: the Harrison Vin Rouge.
0: The Harrison Vin Rouge. Yeah, this is a completely different, different animal.
1: Yeah, I would actually say this, This to me, is very different than anything we've had on the podcast. I think a lot of what we've drank so far has been very fruit forward. This just has a very different aroma to me.
0: I want to put this wine in like a smoking jacket, throw on some Rat Pack. All right, well, before we give it a, a swirl in the mouth, just so everyone knows, this is going to be a full-bodied wine right? So it's going to have a lot of structure. It's going to have some tannins. It's going to definitely have, you know, full sense in your mouth. And the acid on Syrah's tends to be pretty high too. So full body, high acid, deep red. All right, girl, let's give this a whirl. I don't think it's bad. <laughs> you sound like you don't think it's
1: good either. <laughs> Well, in the last episode, I described the wine as, like, something I'd want to have in my mouth for a while. I don't know that I'd want to have this in my mouth as long. Okay, let's start with our likes first. What do we like about it? I like sort of the initial contact. Like, I I like kind of the initial flavor. I think it's leaving something on my tongue that I wish it wasn't.
0: I like the body. I mean, it's, you know, it's got a bold texture. It's got a lot of... Um, structure to like it's a good mouthful of wines you know what yeah. I mean and that initial sip is really red and black fruit forward so yes. I get you know cherry black currant raspberry those sorts of notes but I think what's happening is that there's a sharpness at the end and that peppery so a Syrah really is one of the characteristics of a Syrah is kind of a peppery finish, mm-hmm. and I feel like maybe this this vintage like I maybe should have had this last year, and because what it's doing instead of getting that peppery kick, I'm feeling just all the acid, yeah, um, and it's not hitting exactly where I need. It's a little sharp. In other words, I I I feel like it may have need like I. This ball should have been open last year, I think.
1: Which is really interesting to me because one of the major themes in Sideways between the characters Maya and, and Miles, when they're on sort of their first date, quote unquote, they're talking about, you know, the different wines in their collections. And he mentions having this, like, 61 Chattel something or other. And she's like, oh, go get it. You should open it immediately. This is you know, this is a really great wine and it might be like, it might be at its point, you know, after this, it will, it will degrade. And I feel like that's, it's just interesting to me that we we have a wine that like maybe has also possibly hit that point. Definitely not as fancy as the 61 shot whatever, but still in that, that kind <laughs> of case. And we didn't say this earlier, but that also was a scene with one of my favorite lines from the movie where Maya says something like, the day you open a 61 Chevelle Blanc, that's the special occasion. Because Miles was saying he was saving it for a special occasion. And it's like, the wine itself is the occasion. And I just loved that. That line was great.
0: Yeah, I and you know, I hear a lot of people say, Oh, I don't want to open a good bottle. I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. Hey, girl, open it. No time like the present. And, you know, I think that in, and we'll have to. I feel like our next episode will be able to talk about this more, but I feel like Americans have a very strange relationship with wine, where there's all this discussion of occasion, whereas in so many parts of the wine drinking world, the occasion is the wine itself, or it is the meal itself. You know, drinking abroad has really taught me to enjoy those things a lot more and and to not, you know, wait, necessarily, because you don't want your wines to to peak before you're ready for them. You want to enjoy them. And so yeah, this one, um, I'm starting to see why I got a little bit of a discount on this bottle, but eh, we can't win them all. You know what I mean?
1: No. And you know, the great thing is there's always another bottle. One of the, I don't know that yeah, I've there said is. this to you before, but like <laughs> one of the lessons that I got from my dad, and I can't remember if he had stopped drinking at this point or not, but he said to me at some point,
0: you know, you're an adult when you don't have to finish something you don't like. Yup. 100%. And that goes for everything. This movie sucks. Turn it off. This book is bad. Don't read it. This wine is gross. Pour it out, girl. Open something better. And that's like 100% true. I mean, you know what you like and you know what you don't like. And you don't have time to sit through a bottle that you don't like. Yes, Life, life is short. Drink good shit. Drink it as often as you can. That said if you were going to
1: recommend that I do something with this wine this week, what would you recommend? Is there anything that I can do to use it or improve it or make it into a sangria? Like
0: what's, are there options here? Yeah. I mean, okay. So if you haven't decanted, which we both, well, I did, you sort of did decant it. See if that works. See if you can, you can bring it back from the dead uh, a little bit. If not, you, you do have some options. So like, and i Just to be clear, everyone, it's still drinkable. You know, if you if you like a high acid wine, go for it. This is going to be your oyster. It's it's still drinkable. It's it's not horrible. It's just not as good, I think, as it could be. And from my perspective, it's not as good as their other vintages that I've had previously. But you could use it to cook with. So, okay. like, this wine, um, because of the way that the sugars have developed and the oxidation in the wine, would make an amazing, like, red wine, demi for something. To make a sauce with something like this, I would do, like, the red wine. I would do some balsamic. I might cook down some blueberries Ooh. and, you know, drizzle it over something. So it would go great with poultry or pork. Or like a a eggplant option if you're vegetarian or vegan. So you could do you know you could cook with it. And let's you're just like well I have one glass and I'm not gonna cook with this whole fucking bottle. Freeze it. This is something Martha Stewart taught me pour it into ice an ice cube mold and freeze it. And then whenever you need to add red wine to a recipe, whether you're making like a pasta sauce or a stew or a, you know, just a regular like pan sauce, you've got a red wine cube that you can just throw in your pan and it's ready to go. So you don't feel pressure to open up another bottle. So you can definitely freeze it on the freezing front. You know, if you're not going to cook with it, you can do a couple of things with it. You can use those wine ice cubes in like some sort of fancy summer cocktail. Like I've done a cocktail with frozen wine ice cubes, a little bit of brandy and like a tonic. So it's like a brandy tonic thing. That's really fun. Slice some oranges up in that. You could make a sangria out of this, you know, add juices and some liqueur of your choice to kind of sweeten that up a little bit. I have a sangria recipe that I call the Spanish American War. And I use red wine, Spanish brandy and American bourbon as my liqueurs just to to sweeten that baby up. So I love you so much. You're welcome. Great. I love a thing. Do you like my name? Spanish American War. It's so great. So (laughs) So, yeah, there's plenty you could do with this bottle if you don't feel like you, you know, don't want to drink it and you're not to the point where you're like, I, I feel okay about pouring this out. I mean, it does retail for $48, so I wouldn't pour it out either. I would find some other use for it, for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking maybe I'll do some kind of ratatouille and use this as as the glaze Ooh, or something. That would be delicious. Yeah. Yeah, that would work. I was almost wondering, Drea, if we want to take this pairing direction in a in a different direction this week. We've both said this isn't a wine we would necessarily finish. I almost wonder if there are like other pairings where it's like, oh, we didn't finish this. This is a time where we like took our own advice and like walked out of there instead of
0: putting up with shit. I love when Anne surprises me by changing up our pairing section. So like, what did we walk away from? Yeah. What did we deep What did
1: we depair from? The one movie that I have walked out of in the theaters was Transformers with Shia LaBeouf. I hated it. <laughs> it was awful, and I walked the fuck out.
0: <laughs> that is garbage. Michael Bay is garbage <laughs> for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. I was like, no, I will not be finishing this.
0: Oh, you know what it was for me. Oh, speaking of fucking bromances. It was like 2002 maybe. I went on a date. We saw that movie, I think it's called Pearl Harbor. And it is basically a romance between Ben Affleck and Josh Hartnett and I was like I hate this so much. I can't even deal with it right now. It was terrible. I was like this no, absolutely not. Like if it had been a full on like broke back mountain style romance, I would have been there for a fucking second. But it wasn't. It was just for like, sure. I love you, man. I love you, man. I was like, I hate you. And also we love war. Yeah. <laughs> I love you and I love war. I'm like, nope, I hate all of this. Um so yeah, I do recall like chewing on red vines in the lobby for a substantial amount of time. Uh what about TV shows? Are there any TV shows that you've just been like, you know what? Fuck this. I don't need I don't need to binge watch this anymore. I could not get through
1: The Walking Dead. I got to the part in the series where they're at the farm, which I realized was like eons ago, and probably the show has gotten much better. Don't come for me if you're a Walking Dead fan. It has not. But they got to the farm, and I could not get past it. And finally, I was like, there's more to life than this. You don't have to finish this show.
0: So I used to have, I used to love to watch ER. Like back in the day, like high school, early college. And then when Grey's Anatomy came out, I was like, oh, great. And finally, after, you know, umpteenth deaths and I was like, they've run out of people to sleep with. They're going to have to have new characters. And then they got new care. I was like, we're done. We're done here. And that motherfucking show is still going. I just yeah I was like nope and pretty much every CW show like I'm always enthusiastic I'm like great comic books great vampires and I'm just like why is this so bad why why yeah oh I feel like this one's gonna be great how about books
1: so there was a book that came out a few years back that is like about a witch and it's sort of a romance and her love interest is like a vampire or a demon And there's some magical book that she, like, puts back into the library instead of keeping because she's an idiot.
0: A Discovery of Witches. A Discovery of Witches. That's the one.
1: Could not finish it. I was listening to it on audiobook on a long drive. And I thought it would be perfect because I like witches. I like vampires. I like romance. And I was just like, this protagonist is so whiny that finally I just... I. I took it out and I went and listened to, I think instead of that, I listened to David Sedaris and Trevor Noah's memoir. And it was great. Yeah. No regrets. Much better
0: choices. What about you? The thing I could not get through to save my fucking life was the Fifty Shades of Grey books. Yes, The writing is bad. The characters are awful. The sex is not good. Like, who fucking wrote the sex scene? Stephen King? Now we're going to have a totally random sex scene with, like, one kinky object thrown in. Like, they're terrible. They're terrible.
1: You know, now I'm thinking of all of the other books that I haven't finished that have been in part of a series. (laughs) And I feel like it's It's actually like, again, the first couple of books were really good. Not the case with Fifty Shades of Grey, um, which that is a hit you took for me. But like, so I read the Outlander series and the first several books, like I think I made it through the first three or four and was like, this is still really good. But by like mid four to five, I was like, oh, no, this has jumped the shark. (laughs) Like this is this is no good anymore. And the same, we both read the Suki Stackhouse books. Oh, yeah. And got through several of them, liked them, and then couldn't finish the series. Okay. Um, is is there any music that you used to be really into that you're like, oh, I'm over this?
0: Oh, fuck yeah. Like, how far back in my childhood do you want to go? Um, I mean, so music where it's like, like, think about music where it's not that you've changed and
1: grown out of it, but like the music or the artist is like, ah, eh, not anymore.
0: Yeah, like a lot of musicians become a-holes for sure. I don't know why I said the A-hole. I've been swearing this whole time, but whatever. Um, Chrissy Hines from The Pretenders, who I always thought was kind of a badass rock star, was like some super fucking like Trump advocate and you know, COVID denier. And I was just like, the fuck is wrong with you? But um, I do have a funny story in like the direction you told me not to go into that is wine related. So Great. I'm gonna tell go, it, I'm gonna go tell for it anyways it. because there are no rules on this podcast. I was drinking wine in graduate school i think it was like my first year of graduate school and it was two buck chuck just so we're we're all clear about what we're dealing with and i got drunk and decided to do a little bit of online shopping several days later i get a notification that's like your package is ready and i was like package what fucking package by this time i was sober dressed and getting ready to go to work so I stop by the office to pick up this mystery package that I seriously do not remember ordering and it's this Amazon box I'm like what the fuck did I do and then it hits me it's like you dumb bitch you got drunk and bought shit that you don't need so I immediately rip it open and it's a CD it is the greatest hits of new kids on the block
1: oh my god amazing no
0: not amazing so initially i was like good job drunk andrea you're like getting down with your bad self congratulations girl so i open it up i pop it in and start listening to it and i'm driving 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 and it's playing and i think the first track on the record was hanging tough and i was like oh this is bad you know we all make mistakes we it wasn't my finest moment Uh, It may have been the beginning of The End with Two Buck Chuck, Did me dirty. (laughs) How about you? Any music where you're like, this is an embarrassing point of my life?
1: So there was a while where a couple of bands that I liked included Reliant K and Switchfoot, which... I'm not going to wow. say, I I like haven't listened to them recently enough for me to fully be like, oh, they're not good. But Don't. they have this like slightly Christian slant to them, maybe more than slightly. Uh, oh and it was goodness. just something that I, at the time, was willing to overlook in the interest of like nice boys with guitars, I guess. And I was just looking it up and they, some of the Reliant K songs came out in 2004 which just makes me laugh because it is like the time of sideways and also the time of like not so great musical decisions on my part and i'm really tempted you know to don't
0: do to listen to a couple of don't songs while
1: i try to finish this glass not try to finish it don't do have it. another sip don't... so um did you also listen to creed i think there was a little while where i was like there are a couple creed songs i'm i'm sure there are a couple <laughs> Creed songs that i was pretty into i love those.
0: I love how um, this podcast is just teaching us so much about each other. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. any any um, celebrity crush you wish you could take back?
1: We are both we are both deep lovers of the Harry Potter universe. But JK, uh-huh. you you have really um, you've corked yourself
0: and I just Yeah. She's, she's not a wine I can finish anymore. Agreed, agreed. She's really, she's really made a mess of things over there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a. So so that's who comes. What about for you? Anybody else?
0: I mean, there's probably a lot to be honest. So I'm deeply invested in drag, drag culture. Mama Roo has said and done a few things the last couple years that have just rubbed my ass the wrong way. Yeah. You know, um, especially when we think about like the commodification of drag versus the true act of rebellion that drag is. And, you know, it's kind of it's interesting because I feel like Drag Race and RuPaul in particular have sort of become like the new like punk, right, where... Like punk is subversive and it's all about an act of revolution and rebellion and a fuck you to the institution and the establishment. But what happens when you make it big, right? Like yeah, like what? Ha- By
1: the time you have a reality TV show, aren't you kind of the establishment? Right. And
0: so, how do you walk that line? You know, to look at like RuPaul in the nineties versus RuPaul today, and like I, I look, still love her, still worship the institution of this drag race but there's been a few things that have made me tilt my head sideways a little bit ah like how i brought it back you're all welcome
1: (laughs) so even though we can't necessarily recommend this 2010 vintage you've had several good bottles of the blackjack maximus in the past oh yeah where could people get this wine if they're willing to uh If they're willing to brave it.
0: Yeah. So, and listen, Blackjack is, you know, they produce a large number of wines. They have whites. They have several different red varietals. And, you know, sometimes it's just not the year. I think this one, like I said, if I had opened it last year, we'd be in business. That's partially on me, though. I'll take some of that blame. And so I would still give them a shot. They're a great place to visit. Um, The staff there is amazing. They're super nice. They've got a lot of great wines that you can try and you know that's a nice thing about tasting right you're not gonna you're not gonna fall in love with all of them and so the goal is to find something that that does resonate with you but yeah if you're in the area you want to order from them um you can find them on their website uh which is blackjack ranch so you can buy all their wines they ship to almost every state um and you can arrange a tasting if you're going to be in that area. And so definitely check them out. Well worth the trip. And what are we drinking next time? So we are drinking a very cool wine that I am super excited about um, from Kita. And Kita is an indigenous wine label. The vineyard is owned by the Chumas tribe, and their head winemaker is an indigenous woman named Tara Gomez. I've tasted with her, she's super rad. We are gonna be drinking the Ta'aya White Blend and having a really great discussion about colonialism just in time for 4th of July. So get ready, everyone. Kita also ships direct. To the consumer, so if you are looking for those wines, you can find them online at kitawines.com. K-I-T-A,
1: and if you want to find us online, or let's be real, Drea, you can follow us on Instagram at Two Girls and a Grape Pod. That's two all spelled out. Um, you can also try tweeting me at Two Girls and a Grape, um, but good luck with that is all I'll say. Uh, and that's two, the number two, because Twitter's got to be difficult. You can also email us at Two Girls and a Grape Pod at gmail.com all spelled out, all one word, just like an email address. Uh, and yeah, we would love to see what you're drinking, hear what you like. If you tried this wine, let us know what you, th- what you thought of it. Uh, and then also, if you've got any ideas, we have a little concept we're calling the Wine Wheel, where you send us your ideas, things you'd like us to pair, wines you'd like us to try, shenanigans... Uh, we spin the wheel and do whatever you say. So if you're interested in that, let us know what you think we should add to the wine wheel. And
0: after our last episode featuring our boxed wine, we got quite a few recommendations. So I think we're going to be ready to give that wheel a spin soon. Until next time. Until next time, everyone. Salud. Salud.